John chapter 2 tonight, John chapter 2, and um, verse number 23, John 2 and, um, and 23, and I'll just briefly review uh, some of the things we mentioned this morning and then build on that um, tonight. Again, I appreciate you being here. I know it's a, it's a cold night, and um, uh, anyway, some folks um, maybe have chosen to, to stay in or Anyway, but I'm glad you're here, and um, I believe Father has some good things in store for us. Before I read the passage, amen, before I read the passage, I know that you probably know the answer to this already, but I just want to set this on the table of your heart so that you'll kind of have it in the background of your thinking as, as we read these passages, but um, our level of cooperation with the Lord has so much to do with His ability to work in our lives. Father desires to do amazing things in you and for you and through you. Um, he is, um, as Jesus said, He is always at work. And His desire to to, again, work in you, work for you, work through you, is well established in Scripture. But what we also see well established in Scripture is you know, our response to Him, our attitude towards Him, our willingness to either cooperate with Him, humble ourselves, submit ourselves to Him, um, or, or not. And one of the things that we mentioned this morning is that you know, you know, people sometimes accuse God of not being fair, but we clearly see in Scripture, uh, first of all, that God is fair. He's a just God. But that He doesn't distribute blessing or reward to everyone, you know, like equally. It's not like it's a pie, and if there's 100 people in the room, you know, everybody's getting a 100th, you know, percentage or what have you, one, one you know, equal slice of the pie, it's that he is able to, to bless and reward. Remember, Hebrews 11 says this, it's, a, it's one of the must beliefs. God says that without faith it's impossible to please him, Hebrews 11, 6. Just stay right there where you are in John 2. Without faith it's impossible to please him. Those who come to God must believe two things. Number one, that he is, and right next to believing that God is, must believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Who diligently seek Him. We just finished a few weeks back the, the class in discipleship um, where we look at our life equation and we see that in our life equation God is the constant and we hold the variables. And our response to Him, our pursuit of Him, our willingness to cooperate with Him uh, again, is, is a variable that, that has everything to do with the, uh, the outcome or the results that we experience. So one of the simple ways of, of saying this um, it comes back to the place that we give Him in our lives. The place that we give Him in our lives. And on last Sunday night, you know, I, I probably got way too complicated in trying to say something very simple, and that is 
that we are learning to give him place. We, we are growing um, in that. Um, Pam and I have been married now for more than 30 years. And, and our fellowship and oneness is something that we're still growing in. It's something that, that is, 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 is getting closer and, and, and more beautiful and um, more enjoyable um, as, as the years pass. And so we're, we're learning to give God place. When, he'll meet you where you are. Whatever you understand about Him and, and, and whatever you know, door you open in your life for Him to come in, um, He's going to come in. He's going to fill that place. Um, and, and yet, our, our growing up into Him and, and experiencing and enjoying all that He freely gives us uh, comes back to uh, you know, learning and, and understanding and maturing um, in giving Him place and, and committing ourselves you know, in a deeper way to Him um, as we experience that growth and understanding. Um, when I was born again, I didn't know anything about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Are you understanding? So it's, it's, not like the, it's not like Jesus said, I'm sorry, you can't get saved until you understand and agree to all of this. I, mean, I didn't even know, it's like the Ephesian disciples talked about in the book of Acts. I didn't even know whether there was a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Are you understanding? But that didn't prevent me from accepting him as, as my Savior and, and, and me being born again. Um, and as I grew... And as I begin to, you know, seek Him and as He began to reveal these things to me, well, it, it came to another point in my life uh, of surrender. Uh, when someone's baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's not that you get more of the Holy Spirit than you had before, it's that the Holy Spirit gets more of you than He had of you before. There's only one Holy Spirit. Only one Holy Spirit. Um, and when you're born again, He comes to live inside of you. So when when you understand more about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you, and you, you begin to pursue that and, and, and seek God to receive from Him that blessed baptism, um, notice again, this requires another level of commitment, another level or degree, we could even say, of, of submission and cooperation with Him, giving Him that place in your life. And so... Father is so good to us, and He loves us, and, and, and is patient with us, um, but there are still many things, many things for us to learn, experience, and grow up into. So I wish, as we said this morning, that I could just have you all stand and, and you repeat some, you know, three-paragraph prayer after me, you know, committing to give Him place in your life, um, but that would just simply be good for what you understand right now. If we're going to continue to grow, we're going to have to continue to give Him more and more place and, and, and submit ourselves to Him in a greater way. Praise God. All right, let's go to uh, John chapter 2, verse 23. Now when He, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in His name when they saw the signs which He did. But Jesus did not commit Himself to them because He knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Now, one way to translate this word, did not commit himself to them, 
is to use the word entrust. Not just trust, but entrust. E-N-T-R-U-S-T. The Passion Translation says, but Jesus did not yet entrust himself to them because he knew how fickle human hearts can be. Now, as I said this morning, this passage has always interested me. I, I said that word again, always. That's an exaggeration. It wasn't like I came out of my mother's womb, you know, like intrigued by this verse, all right? But for a lot of years, this verse has interested me because it doesn't sound like what we know about Jesus. Um, the fact that there's some folks who believed in him, but Jesus didn't commit himself to them. But we see why he didn't commit himself to them. It's because he knew what was in their hearts. And what this really boils down to is a group of people who were impressed by Jesus, who were impressed by the miracles that they witnessed him perform, but in their hearts, they were not willing to make the necessary commitment to him to be his disciples. Being a disciple is, is, is a much deeper commitment. It requires giving him a much higher place in your life than just simply giving Jesus credit for doing something you've never seen anybody else do. So when we talk about, you know, this concept of, of like a fan, um, we see in our world today where, you know, there are football fans, there are, you know, movie stars, people who act in movies, they have fans, and, you know, musicians and, and singers, what have you, they have fans. Um, Jesus didn't come to this earth looking for fans. He didn't come to start a, a Jesus fan club. And, and I think that that's kind of where these people were. That's, that's where they were in their heart. We, we see a, a similar uh, scenario play out in John the 8th chapter where another group of Jews uh, believed uh, in Jesus. Um, and Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you'll be my disciples indeed. Right? So the difference between, you know, it was when Jesus, I'm sorry, not the difference, but the reason Jesus put that word indeed there for real, is because at that point, their commitment level to him um, was not that of a disciple. But notice he's saying that if they will continue in his word, or as he's going to say a few verses later, if they will give his word place in their lives, if they will give his word the place it deserves in their lives, then they will be disciples. Indeed, they'll know the truth, and the truth will make them free. Now, <clears throat> Jesus certainly came to this earth providing you and me and others, you know, the opportunity to trust in Him, to, to entrust our lives to Him. But I think sometimes we lose sight of Jesus also looking for people that He could put His trust in. He wasn't just looking for people who would trust Him. He was looking for people that he could trust. He wasn't just looking for people who would give him something. He was looking for people that he could give something to. We see that God the Father committed some things to Jesus. He entrusted some things to Jesus that Jesus then in turn came to entrust to you and me. This is that what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that every good and perfect gift comes down. There's a flow to it. It comes down from the Father but the bridge between God the Father and you and me is Jesus. God the Father entrusted some things to Jesus and then gave Jesus to us. As many as received Jesus, God the Father makes one with Jesus. 
And then when God the Father makes us one with Jesus, Jesus then makes us one with the Father. So we see that there were things that God the Father entrusted, committed to Jesus. And now Jesus is looking for those who will make the necessary commitment to Him, worthy of Him, remember that passage out of Matthew, right? So that He can then entrust Himself and those things that Father God has entrusted to Him, He can then commit those things to us. Amen. Amen. Now, clearly, um, these folks were not there yet. And notice I'm saying yet. Um, amen. I know there's been a lot of things in my life that Father brought me, you know, to the doorway of, and I, either out of my ignorance or lack of faith or laziness or stubbornness or whatever, I didn't walk through that door. And, um, but see, in, in God's great mercy and grace, um, He brought me back around to that door at a later date in my life, right? <laughs> Gave me that opportunity again for me to walk through that. So it's not like Jesus just washed his hands of these people and said, you know, go burn in hell or something like that. It's not that. But their commitment level, their, their, their confidence um, in him was not of such that he could uh, submit or commit uh, to them. Let me... Um, Praise God, there's so much here. Let me, let me jump way ahead of myself for a moment, okay? Jesus, Jesus was looking to entrust people with some very precious things. Some very precious things. You hear me tonight, please. He, he, he was looking for some people that, that he could put confidence in that would have not, not a perfect heart, not, not um, in other words, look at Peter, look at, look at the struggles that he had, look at, look at the disciples and, 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 and some of the pettiness and, and selfishness and, 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 and inner fighting that, that went on among them. So I'm not trying to present something to you tonight like you've got to live up to some, you know, standard of perfection. No, no, it's about the attitude of the heart. It's about the attitude of the heart. Jesus didn't say, I know what these people did last week. That's not what he said. He said, I'm not committing myself to you because I know how many times you slept in instead of getting up to pray. That's, that, that's not what he's saying. It's just that he knew their heart. He knew where they were. He knew that... That, that he could not trust them with what I believe he clearly wanted to trust them with or else this wouldn't even be recorded in Scripture. It wouldn't have even been a consideration. He wouldn't have even paused to say, wow, you know, um, I, I didn't commit myself to these people because I knew what was in their hearts, which prevented him from being able to do that. But let's go back to this now. This is the early portion of Jesus' earthly ministry. I mean, his earthly ministry has just launched. He's assembling a team, and he's looking for some people that he can trust, that he can entrust with some very precious things. Let me, let me try to give you some idea of what we're talking about here. He's looking for someone that he can entrust with his kingdom. 
He's looking for someone that he can entrust with his words. He's looking for someone that he can entrust with his name. He's looking for someone that he can entrust with his authority over devils and demons and sickness and disease. He's looking for someone that he can entrust with his anointing, with the same empowerment that was upon him. Now we see that he eventually found these people, did he not? We see that he assembled the twelve disciples, that he imparted his anointing and his authority upon them. He sent them forth to preach his message in his name and to lay their hands on the sick and see the sick recover, and to cast out devils. He said these words, if anybody receives you, they receive me. If anybody rejects you, they reject me. That's speaking of oneness. That's speaking of fellowship and ministry through fellowship. Representing Him. Amen. When it says He, he, he did not commit or entrust Himself to these people, he was, I believe this is what he had in mind. He was looking for people that he could entrust with these precious things and send them forth to go and minister in his name. In his name. All right, now let me, I'm getting maybe a week or so ahead of myself, but this just keeps bubbling up in my spirit. So if you hear this again, you'll just know where to say amen. But let me, let me get some of this out of me here for a moment, all right? One of the things that we've said is that there's a lot of people in the body of Christ who are wanting Jesus to do something in their life that they have not given Him place to do. They're wanting Him to be something to them that they haven't given Him place to be. And we used the example this morning of somebody that sticks their nose in your business and tells you something you should do, and tells you how you ought to handle this, or how you ought to raise your kids, or how you ought to this, and, and you get offended at them because you, they don't have that place in your life. They're, 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 they, they, they have no business because they don't have, you haven't given them that place. Amen. Right? And so in the same way, we want Jesus to fix things for us we, but we haven't made it His business because we haven't given Him the place in our lives that He deserves to be able to do that. Remember one of the things that so many people are battling here on earth, and, and we all have to, if you think you're immune to this, you're wrong, right? And it's this idea that, that we want what He can do for us, but we don't want Him. We want His blessings, but we don't want the, the, the oneness and the fellowship with Him that He so longs for and desires uh, to have with each one of us. I believe that was a huge factor in, in this passage here in John 2. And we've talked about this in here, that these folks wanted some level of relationship with Jesus, but they didn't want the fellowship with Him. I've said it this way before. I know some of you probably remember this. I have a relationship with Regions Bank. I have a relationship with the IRS. Amen? But that's... that's so a relationship doesn't... doesn't effectively communicate what God the Father desires to have with you and me. He wants us to be one with Him, to live as one with Him, and to enjoy the same fellowship with God the Father as Jesus enjoys with God the Father tonight. This is, this is what Father d desires and longs for. 
from each one of us. I, I even believe, and we've preached messages on this, that that is what we were actually created for. That that is what we were created for. More than, more than any you know, purpose we could serve or any job we could go and do or what have you. Um, I'm not saying the purposes we serve aren't important and, and the jobs that we, we do in service to our King are not necessary. They are. But if, if, if we get that, um, the, the, the cart of service before the horse of fellowship, you understand what I'm saying? It's, it's tail wagging the dog. Amen. And we even see from the Scriptures that all effective ministry or service proceeds forth from um, fellowship, oneness, walking with the Lord. If you will walk with Him in fellowship with Him, then you will be highly effective in what you do in service to Him. Amen. I heard Jeremy Pearson say it this way, right? He said, service is a poor substitute for intimacy. It's a poor substitute. It's the Mary Martha thing, right? Right? Mary sat at His feet. Martha's out busy working, doing all these other things. It's not that what you know, Jesus even said what, what Mary had chosen was the most needful thing and what she had chosen to, to do that afternoon would never be taken from her. Now, that's not an excuse for us to be lazy and to do nothing. But I'm telling you, so many people have this attitude that we're going we're gonna to serve God, you know, so He's going to owe us something. That's not how this works. It's not how this works. Now, if we don't have that, then what I said in the beginning about being rewarded and, and things of this nature will not be in the right context in our lives. So it all, our effectiveness comes from our fellowship. There's, every person in this room is uniquely gifted. Every person in this room has talents and abilities that God gave to you as an individual. It's potential that He invested within you. But the only thing that's really going to bring that out in a, in a meaningful, effective way is fellowship with the Lord. It's the key that unlocks this. And so there's a lot of folks who try to leave out the fellowship and just go straight into the, into the service. It, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. So exactly what it was in, in these men's and women's hearts that prevented Jesus from entrusting, at least at that time, to them the things that He came to entrust to human beings, I, we don't really know. We don't have the details. It was just something in their heart that prevented Him from being able to do that. Okay? And I... But I think somewhere at the heart of it is what level of relationship that they actually wanted to have with Him. Again, we see it, the, the, the greater explanation is over in John 8, where, where again, you've got a group of people. There's a, there's a, a door that's opened. There's a belief um, in Jesus. And Jesus tries to build on that by saying, if you'll take it to the next level, abide in, continue in my words, you'll be my disciples indeed. We see, we see real quick the place that Jesus had in their hearts when he suggested that. Right? They, they, didn't, even give, they didn't even give him the level of Abraham to them. He wasn't even Abraham to them. He wasn't even one of the prophets to them. They gave him a place, prophet or lower. And so, his words had no place in them. Now, here's, here's the, let's go back to it. The things that Jesus wanted to entrust 
um, and, and ultimately did find people that he could entrust. His kingdom, his words, his message, his authority, his name. Things that are not, these things, have they not been given to you and me tonight? Yes, they have been. Absolutely, they have been given to us. Amen. But what brings these things to an effective, active force in our lives still comes back to the place that we give Jesus in our lives. Let me, let me see if I can say this another way. His name cannot have a place in your life that you have not given to Him. Everybody wants to, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. But it's not some magic formula. It's not some hocus pocus. It's not just because we drop his name. We see in the book of Acts where a bunch of folks, uh, you know, they went to cast a demon out of a, out of a man. And they say, we, we cast you out. We adjure you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And we know what happened there, right? The, the demons in that man jumped on that seven sons, seven brothers, and, and beat them and stripped them naked. Beat them to, I mean, beat them to a bloody pulp. The whole time those demons were saying, I know who Paul is and I know who Jesus is, but I have no idea who you are. So what's the point? Why did the name of Jesus not cast those demons out. It's because Jesus Himself had no place in those men's lives. They're trying to get the name of Jesus to do something for them, but it's, it's, they have not given Jesus the place in their hearts that would cause that name. So again, we see both in Scripture where people try to give Jesus a place in their lives, but not give His words place in their lives that they deserve. And then we see people who try to give His words place in their life, but not give Him place in their life. And neither situation will work. Amen. Are you following me tonight? I, I didn't mean to quite go down this road right now, but I just feel, I'm feeling drawn there. Amen. So, the examples would be... Um, Remember the religious leaders, Jesus told them, He said, you search the Scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, and yet you don't realize that those Scriptures are all speaking of Me. So notice now, they're trying to get the benefit that only Jesus can give by going straight to the Word and excluding Jesus. It's not, it's not going to work. It's not going to happen. So, when we talk about his ability to entrust these things into our, into our care, um, it really does, I think, come back to the place that we are willing to give to him. Now, we see in Exodus with Moses where the Bible says in Psalm 103.7, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. So he was able to entrust Moses with things 
that he was not able to entrust everyone else with. We see it in John 15. 15, the same thing with the disciples. He said, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I've made known to you. Jesus did not make all things he heard from his Father known to everybody. He made it known to those that he could entrust it with. Are you hearing me tonight? This is important. You say, why is it important, Pastor Mark? Because the same thing applies to you and me. The same thing applies to us. His ability to entrust these precious things to us. Amen. All right. Let's look at a few more verses tonight from 2 Timothy. You get anything out of this tonight? All right, let's go to 2 Timothy. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And we'll finish this part up again. This word commit is such an important word, entrust, all right? 2 Timothy chapter 1, and let's go to verse number 12. Did I say, did I say 1 Timothy? 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. It says this, For this reason I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Okay? Now, if you look closely, you'll see in this passage that the Apostle Paul has now given Jesus' place in his life. I believe, I'm persuaded, I'm convinced that he is able... But notice what he's persuaded, convinced that Jesus is able to keep. Jesus is able to keep what Paul has committed to him. What Paul has committed to him. Now let me keep reading, I'll come back. Verse 13. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. So notice now, in, in these few verses, we see that the entrusting is a two-way uh, process, if you will. We see that there are things that we need to entrust with Jesus, and there are things that He needs to entrust with you and me. So he uses this word commit. Now, it's a little late in the evening for me to open too many more cans of worms, but let me, let me just step away from my notes for a minute and, and try to at least give you a beginning of this, all right? We speak often around here about the difference between our legal standing and our vital experience. Okay? Now, if this is new terminology for you, let me quickly explain. What we mean by legal standing is there is actually a written covenant sealed with the blood of Jesus that now applies to you if you've been born again. 
Jesus, not to water it down, but just to put it in words that everyone can understand, Jesus came and established a new covenant. New as compared to the old covenant that once existed, that once was in force. Think of it as a new operating agreement between God and, and man. And so this new covenant, this new operating agreement, spells out what belongs to you, just like if you had a relative that passed away and they had a, a last will and testament. That will and testament would spell out what was yours under that agreement. Well, in this case, Jesus was our testator, and when He died, He put in place the testament, the, the, the will, if you, if you will, the covenant. But then, the same Jesus that died to ratify it was raised from the dead to enforce it, to oversee it to make sure that you got everything He paid such a high price for you to have. Are you still with me? I'm kind of going fast here. All right. So, we see then that when, when a man or a woman is born again, the Bible says that God has blessed you, not will bless, has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It says that He has given to you, not will give, has given to you all things that pertain to life and godliness. And we could go on and on. There's so many verses that talk about this. All right? So that's what we mean by the legal standing. But when we talk about the vital experience, we're talking about our walking this out in our daily lives, where we're actually experiencing and enjoying all that Jesus bought, paid for, and gave to us the moment we were born again. So you have the legal and you have the vital. You have the legal and you have the vital. Are you hearing me? Now, the reason this is so important is because if you misunderstand me here, we, we, we're getting really close to, to, you know, if we misunderstand, getting off into error. And I don't want you to be in error, but I want us to walk this fine line tonight, okay? Because what we see on one hand is that legally, Jesus is eternally committed to you with, with His very life's blood. I mean, there's no way He could be any more committed to you than He is right now. Amen. The Bible says even after all that He did for us as a human being on planet Earth, He now, in a glorified body, ever lives in heaven at the right hand of the Father to make intercession. He is your advocate. He is pleading your case and my case before the throne of God 24-7. His blood, the blood that He spilled has been poured out on the altar in heaven. And it is crying out better things than the blood that, that Cain spilled from his brother Abel. That blood cried out for justice. It cried out for someone to set the record straight and to balance the scales of justice. Jesus came and offered his blood to not just balance those scales, but to tip them forever in your favor and in my favor. And so the blood on the altar in heaven that cries out on your behalf tonight is not crying out for justice, it's crying out for mercy. It's crying out for grace and blessing and prosperity in your life. Amen. So, on the legal side of things, He could not be any more committed to you than He is. Okay? But when it comes to vital, we're talking about walking it out, enjoying and experiencing. 
What He is able to vitally commit to you is in direct proportion to your willingness to commit or entrust yourself to Him. It's back to the place you give Him. Are you following what I'm saying? I'm not trying to confuse you. I'm trying, you know, First Mark said Jesus isn't committed to me. That is not what I'm saying. He is absolutely committed to you. But when it comes to you walking out, me walking these things out in our life reality, our commitment to Him and the place that we give Him in our lives has everything to do with what He's able to entrust into our lives. What He's able... Galatians 4.1 says it this way, the heir, as long as, a as long as he is a child, differs nothing from a slave, though he be lord of all. You think, well, how can he be a, a lord ruling and reigning, but living like a slave? That doesn't make sense. Again, legal, vital. Legally, Jesus has made him a son, an heir, a son of God, a joint heir with Jesus, an heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus. But as long as, as we're a child, ignorant, immature, unable to speak on our own behalf, our life reality is going to look more like a slave instead of the ruler that we actually are in Christ Jesus. So it comes back to what we commit to Him and what He commits to us. What we commit to Him and what He commits to us. He starts out by saying, I know that and persuaded, believed and persuaded. So I don't just water it down with no. I mean, this is, these are strong words in verse 12. That he's able to commit everything, that he's able to keep everything. Is that what he, he didn't say? He's able to keep everything. He's able to keep what we commit to him. There's a big difference there. See, that's where I've been telling you that we want him to do things in our lives that we haven't given him place to do in our lives. Let me say it another way. According to this scripture right here, we want him to keep things we haven't committed to him. We, we want him to, to honor us and to honor things in our lives that we've never committed to him. We've never made him Lord over in our lives. We've wanted to do it our way and, 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 and enjoy it our way and then when it when we fly it into the side of a mountain, we want him to come and bail us out. Wondering why he failed us. Wondering why he allowed that to happen. Wondering why he... No, no, see, we never committed it to him in the first place. We, ne we never rolled it over. That's, this word commit literally means to roll over on him. We never rolled the care of it. We never rolled the responsibility of it over on him. We kept the responsibility of it never committed it to him, and then wonder why he didn't keep it. Why he didn't preserve it. Why he didn't protect it. Why he didn't... Oh, come on now. You with me tonight? Now, we see the other side of this coin in verse 14. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. In other words, he's talking about these precious things again, right? We can't keep them unless we keep them by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Notice these things are so powerful, so grand, so, so uh, holy that it requires the Holy Spirit to help us keep these things that have been committed to us. Keep again means to, that's been rolled over to us. Our responsibility, our uh, uh, 
anointing, our gifts, talents, abilities, the name of Jesus, the Word. Has the Word of God been committed to us? Has the name of Jesus been committed to us? Has the authority of, of the kingdom been committed to us? Has the words of the kingdom been Yes, all of that's been committed to you and me. What we commit to Him, what He commits to us. It's a two-way street. Are you seeing it? Amen. All right, stand with me. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. I know you stand in Psalm 37. Let me give you two verses. You don't have to look them up. Just listen, all right? Psalm 37, 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him. And He'll bring it to pass. See, we got things again that we're wanting Him to bring to pass in our lives. But we haven't committed our way to Him. We keep wondering why He's not bringing to pass what His Word says He'll bring to pass. It's because we haven't given Him that place in our lives. Practically, we're saying it's none of your business, God. Practically, we're saying what I do with my money is none of your business, God. All right. Amen. Proverbs 16.3 Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. See again. What your works, what you do. Commit what you do to Him. Do it as unto Him. Your thoughts be established by Him. Your thoughts be established by Him. See? If we've learned anything here over the years, we've learned that our thinking is one of our biggest issues, one of our biggest problems. Man, I'm trying so hard to get my thoughts straight, Pastor Mark. I'm trying so hard to get my mind renewed. Commit your works to Him. See, if you're not going to give Him that place in your life, you're going to, if your works are not committed to Him, who are they committed to? You can make every name everything you want to name, but it comes back to it's either you or Him. You're either doing it for yourself or you're doing it for Him. If you're doing it for yourself, this means you haven't given in place, right? So if you commit what you do to him, he'll come in and establish your thoughts because you just gave him place to do it. Father, we love you. Thank you for what you're teaching us. Father, I know these are some heavy things. They're so needed. Father, they're so important. Help us to embrace these things, Father. Not be offended by them. Not feel like we're being fussed at, Father. Please, if, if I came across that way, forgive me, Father. I'm not fussing tonight. I'm passionate about this, Lord. This is burning in me, Lord. So much you want to do in us and for us and through us. You're just longing for us to give you the place to do it, Father. To give you the place in our lives you deserve. Father, may we not be like those folks in John 2 and John 8 that were fans, that just wanted some low-level relationship, some acquaintance with you. Father, may we hunger and may we thirst for the oneness and the fellowship that you long for and long to have with each one of us tonight. Father, may these words be planted deep in our heart. May they become engrafted into our souls. May they become a part of our personalities. As we go our separate ways, Father, may our light so shine this week, Lord, that others see our good works and glorify you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.
Amen. And amen. Thank you again for being here. Shake somebody's hand, hug somebody's neck, love somebody in Jesus.